You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Hey, we're launching our new series, as I've already mentioned, Finding Our Way Back as a Nation. In recent years, it seems like I encounter a multitude of individuals who ask the question, Pastor, what's going on in our world? And I just, I, I, I mean, like a couple months ago, I, I'm out front of my, my property and, and having a conversation with a neighbor, and they remembered that I was a pastor, and, and they, they step back and they look at me and they go, okay, so I got to ask you a question. And anytime somebody says that and they, they preface it with, so I know you're a pastor, I'm like, and here we go. Like, and I know a lot of people here can relate to that because you get the same thing with your Christian title. Hey, I, I know you're a Christian, so let me ask you. And you're like, here we go. And she looks at me and she says, what is happening in our nation? And just so that I, like, I want to make sure that I don't go on a rant that isn't relative to what she's talking about. I'm like, what are you referencing? (laughs) And I wasn't being sarcastic. (laughs) And she just, man, just starts pointing out what, what many in this place are already aware of. Just right being called wrong and wrong becoming right in morality being subjective and not objective, meaning whatever feels right in your life, you just go ahead and do it. Standards just being thrown out the window, mental, mental disorders being recategorized. And the list goes on and on. And, and they looked at me and said, like, what is happening in our nation? And, and then a couple months after that, I'm, I'm in another place that I call the Holy Land. Wasn't Cabela's this time. Wasn't Cabela's this time. It was the, the gun club. And I'm sitting there exercising some of Second Amendment rights as, as well as participating in group therapy. I'm just feeling it today. I'm sorry. I, something about 4th of July just brings the redhead out in me. So I'm at the range, and, and this older gentleman, I love talking to some of the, the older gentlemen at the range because they are like dictionaries full of wisdom when it comes to just like shooting techniques. So I'm talking to this gentleman. And he's telling me about the good old days, which I love hearing stories like this. So long as we don't hold the good old days as an idol, right? We believe that God can do it again. Come on, somebody. But as a millennial, um, I love hearing stories about the good old days because like, I never lived through that. And hearing about this nation that he's describing is so far different than the one that I grew up in. And he's telling me like, these stories, he's like, we used to take our, and again, if, if you're offended by, by firearms, I'm so sorry. Like, again, you must be new here. I love you. Welcome to our church. And so he starts telling me, he's like, back in my day, we used to take our guns to school. He's like, we had firearm safety training in school. 
He's like, I literally used to walk down Main Street in Allentown with my firearm and a bandolier of ammo around my shoulder, and I'm like, what was that like? (sighs) (sighs) And he's telling me this, in the midst of this conversation, his face changes. His nonverbals change. This look of heartache overcomes him, and he says the question that we've been saying over the past three to four years specifically, what happened? And he goes, what went wrong in our nation? He goes, people, when I grew up, people didn't want to go into places of worship and education and kill others. And so this morning, I, I want to re- kind of answer that, that question. Like, what, what, what happened? How, how did we drift so far? How did we get to where we are? And this morning, I, I want to kind of play off of a documentary that I, that I saw last year. I was at a, a Teen Challenge banquet and had the opportunity to hear um, Hollywood star uh, uh, Kirk Cameron. How many of you are familiar with Kirk Cameron from the show Growing Pains, right? And, and Kirk is like, I can tell you, after, after having the opportunity to hear Kirk and, and friends of mine who were able to do a meet and greet and meet him, like, like he is the real deal. Like, this guy loves Jesus. And, and Kirk Cameron, he produced this documentary, if we can show the film, called um, Monumental. And I really want to encourage you, um, if you haven't seen it, it's available on Amazon Prime. You can rent it, buy it. I want to really encourage you to, to buy it, view it. If you have younger kids, there's some intense moments in the documentary that I don't know would be age appropriate for younger kids. But Kirk Cameron, he, he produced this documentary to answer that question, what happened? And in order to figure out what happened, like where we are now, you have to go back and understand where we've come from. And Kurt goes on this documentary, this exploration, where he goes to a few different places all over the world, and he retraces the footsteps of the pilgrims, who, and he, he brings into alignment, and I'm not here to debate this, because in, in modern day history, the pilgrims have, have been like painted, uh, 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 the pilgrims have been um, painted in such a way that we're given this picture that, that all they wanted was, was to um, pillage and steal, and, and I just, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. And he paints the picture from the historical accuracy of the pilgrims are looking to worship Jesus. And he goes back to that portion of our history and where this video clip that we're about to show begins. It begins with one historian discussing why the pilgrims came. And in the midst of this documentary, uh, Kirk Cameron discovers a monument in our nation that I would be willing to bet most in this room have never heard of. Has anybody in this room ever heard of the monument, the monument to our forefathers in Plymouth, Massachusetts? A handful of people. Most have never heard of this monument. And so we're going to show a quick video clip again, picking up at this historian explaining why the pilgrims came. Go ahead. They had a love for God and a love for their families and a love for freedom that brought them to this world. And, 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 and William Bradford exemplifies that. I wish, I wish they had left us some kind of, of, a, of a, 
of a, of a, of a training manual, some kind of a, a secret sauce recipe card that we could pick up and go, all right, here's what it is, here's what we do. What do we do? How do we get back to that? You now, when uh, the children of Israel going into the Promised Land, they crossed the Jordan River and God stood it on in and they walked across. And before the waters stopped parting, God told them to take 12 stones from the bottom of the river and put it up on the top of Mount Gilgal and make a monument. So that when your children ask, what are these stones? They will be able, you'll be able to tell them, this is where God parted the sea. And that's what the pilgrims left us. They left us a monument that not only gives tribute to what was accomplished here, but it gives us a specific strategy, a breakout of a blueprint of if we would ever forget what made America great, what made us free, we can go back and follow that strategy and it's right up on a hill a half mile from here. Right here? Right here. It's 180 tons of solid granite. It's the largest granite monument in America, and it's hidden on a hilltop overlooking Plymouth in a residential neighborhood. I've never heard of this. Hardly anybody in America knows about it, and yet the people of America put this together over a 70-year period, paid for by the Congress, paid for by the state legislature in Massachusetts, as a strategy laid out and called the Matrix of Liberty that was given to us by the forefathers, by the pilgrims. And they, those 130 years ago, when they built this, wanted to leave this behind for us so that if we would ever forget how liberty is built, we would know what to do to regain it. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. Now, if, if somebody else wants to try another way, which is what's happening today in America, we're trying a thousand ways to turn America around, but this is the way it was done. This is it, the only successful strategy of liberty that has ever been carried out in the history of mankind. Well, let's walk through it. And yeah, this, yeah, we're, let's we're, take this strategy apart. What does this mean? What are they trying to tell us here? We're, we're, so where do you, where do you well, start? Well, her name is Faith. It says so right there. And she is pointing her finger to heaven. Why? For God is. For God is because her faith is in the God of the Bible in Jesus Christ. They knew that the only faith that could bring true liberty was a faith in the one true God and his Bible. And you see a Bible there, an open Bible. It's a Geneva Bible. The pages are opened up, which meant that they read it. And as they read it, and as they had faith in God, he gave them wisdom. That's why you see the star on her forehead. She's given wisdom to know how to live in this world. And all of the rest of these statues, each one weighing almost 20 tons, is tied to faith, because without faith, it falls apart. And that's the beginning of it all. So this morning, I would like to continue to walk through this monument because I believe this monument preaches. 
And every component of this monument, now this is an exact replica, actually made from the individuals who made all of the scenery that you see in the Lord of the Rings. They have their own company where they make replicas that are identical. And the detail in this replica after the service, you're more than welcome to come up and check it out, is phenomenal. But this monument in our nation, it, it preaches and it gives that, that secret recipe for uh, uh, not only attaining liberty, but maintaining liberty. And it all begins, and I want to start this sermon out by how we're going to finish it. It always begins with faith in Jesus. Come on. Until you experience internal liberty, external liberty will not make sense to you. We're living in a day and age where there are many who have yet to experience internal liberty, so the external liberty isn't going to make sense. It always begins with faith in Jesus. I mean, my goodness, come on, somebody. That's what he said in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we often limit this verse to just eternity, that Jesus is the only way to eternity. And yes, that is true. But when Jesus says, I am the way, this is all encompassing. This means he is the only way way to live life. He is the only way to understand morality. He is the only way to have a healthy marriage. He is the only way to raise children. He is the only way, not only as far as eternity, but he is the only way for life. And this monument preaches faith in Jesus. It begins with faith in Jesus. And what's so beautiful is directly under this figure, faith, we have this individual on the corner and in the front, it's titled morality, meaning faith in Jesus leads to character and morality. I want to say that again. Faith in Jesus leads to character morality. I mean, come on, somebody. I think that we would all agree that what we're trying to do here today is make good, or excuse me, make bad people good and call it revival. That's not revival. Just because someone acts differently for a, mo a momentary time doesn't mean revival. Friend, revival is when people have faith in Jesus. And then that faith in Jesus begins to work in our hearts and in our minds. How many of you know that like before we knew Jesus, we didn't think the, in the mess way. <laughs> like we didn't perceive life accurately. Come on, am I the only one? Like how many of you have experienced that change where it's like, wow, I can't believe I used to think like that. What happened? Faith in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. So we have this figure and her name is morality. And morality, of course, is a primary component to liberty because it's the beginning of uh, all freedom is kind of preserved through morality. Once you experience internal liberty, you are compelled to live that internal liberty outwardly. And likewise, the lower portion of this monument, she doesn't have eyes either because she's looking at the internal character, character which leads to external character. 
The Ten Commandments are in her left hand and the scroll of Revelation in her right, meaning her relationship with Jesus gives her the standard of morality. We are changing the standard of morality right now in our, in our, in our culture because we don't know Jesus. His standard never change, changes. And, and like, thank God for that. Come on, somebody. She has attained the revelation of Jesus Christ being her Lord. If you want morality, people doing the right thing, then there must be an absolute standard of morality in order to do the right thing consistently. This concept of an unchanging moral standard and coming uh, to faith in Jesus Christ is so vastly different than the culture that the pilgrims grew up in. In England, you had top-down morality, which was dependent upon what the king or queen deemed right and wrong. It was man-made morality imposed upon people. And rather than morality coming from the government, we have the pilgrims that recognize that morality starts in the heart with Jesus Christ. And on the other side of this cornerstone, of this monument, we have this title, Evangelism. On the side of this monument, you'll see the inscription evangelist, which means that we must teach this revelation, this understanding of God's word, that we, the people, are called to go do ministry. And again, it's of course an echo of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now recognizing that morality comes from Jesus, we can have laws that are built off of his unchanging standard, which isn't corrupt. Can I hear a good amen? amen. And we get this figure on the side of the monument. Let me come around here. We get this figure, this gentleman right here, and on the front it's titled Law. If you want to have freedom, you must have civil law that will support the freedom in which you've attained. The principles of God's law must be worked into civil law. You'll notice in the right hand of this figure, if we can show some of those pictures, that would be great. His hand is extended, and in his right hand, it says uh, mercy, and it's in reference towards dealing with justice, and, and it's kind of like this. Let me, let me back up a little bit. I might have skipped something. On the side of this, you have an individual who's holding two scales. There we go. My apologies. One scale says law, the other says mercy. And this form of law is vastly different than the law of tyrants because it's fair. It's equal no matter what class of citizenship you come from. It's equal towards the poor and the wealthy. You see, again, this is a concept that was vastly different because the pilgrims understood that if you were someone of the king or someone of the queen, then you had an in and therefore the law was bent in your favor. But when you have faith in Jesus and you have an understanding of his morality, you get this law that is fair and just. And I love the fact that mercy is offered. Because how many of you know that when you know Jesus, you know mercy? I believe that Christians, I'm not saying that we're called to be so passive that, that we just do away with the law and, and everybody who's in prison we set free. But what I am saying is I do believe that Christians should be the most merciful people. 
Because when you know Jesus, you know mercy. And what that means is we should be hesitant to be the judge and executioner. And often we, we, we want so many people punished, but we view that kind of judgment through a lens that lacks mercy. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Our culture doesn't understand mercy. It's why we are called cancel culture. Because not only will we judge you by something that is no longer a part of your existing life, it happened 10, 15 years ago, not only will we go into your past and bring that up, but we will condemn you and put you to death over it. Don't become like that culture. Amen? Follow Jesus' way, where yes, there's a law, but there's also mercy extended. Amen? So I want to recap. This monument sermon... It all begins with faith in Jesus Christ, which leads us down to morality, because doing the right thing makes sense when you know Jesus. On the side of the cornerstone, you'll see evangelism, meaning we have a responsibility. Church, the gospel message shouldn't be a secret. And if you have these two things, it will lead to a law that is fair, that supports a fair morality, which moves us to this next figure. Her name on the front says education. Education is this lady of education, and she's opening the word of God to educate her children. She's wearing a wreath of victory because she's training up her child in the way that they should go, and that always will lead to victory. And in, a, in this biblical education of Jesus and his ways, law and civil society makes sense. This figure on the monument has prepared her children so that the next generation after them would know and carry on the truth in Jesus Christ, which leads to civil law. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 7 says in these words, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This monument reminds us that when it comes to teaching children about faith in Jesus and biblical morality, parents, please hear me, it is the parents' primary responsibility to train their children in the way of Jesus Christ. It is not your school teacher's job. Well, I go to a Christian school. It is not your school teacher's job. It's not even, I wouldn't even say it's the primary responsibility of your pastor. I'm not in their lives daily. Thank God. I got two of my own and a third one on the way. I, I, my time's taken up. No offense. It is your primary responsibility to teach your children about Jesus. And friends, we undermine this responsibility so much. Teach your children about Jesus. And I'm not talking about teaching them about Peter walking on water and, and Jesus and picking him up and, and that being it. 
I'm talking about teach them, yes, about Jesus and these stories, but teach them about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Teach them how to pray. And teach them how to pray anointing over someone else. Teach them how to pray healing over someone else. I don't just mean, uh, you know, good, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Teach them how to go deep. Come on, somebody. Our culture assumes the most offensive thing about kids. Our culture assumes that kids are stupid. And I'm done with it. I'm just done with it. I've been on mission trips where there was a four-year-old who was bilingual. Yeah, real foolish. They are such sponges. I get jealous of those in kids' ministry. Teach your children, as Deuteronomy says, every day. And I'm not talking about overbearing, but I am talking about a real faith in Jesus that goes deep. Amen? Amen. If you do not, parents, please hear me. I say this with love. If you do not have a pulse on where your kids are spiritually when it comes to their eternity, you need to wake up now. Hell is forever. And if you don't have a pulse on where your kids, if you're sitting there and you're saying, but my 15, 16, 17, 18, they don't bring it up. It's your job. They have a real soul, a real eternity. And if eternity isn't enough to motivate parents to have a spiritual conversation, then friend, I don't know what will motivate you if hell isn't enough. Have the conversation. And once you have the conversation, protect them. Growing up, I I remember there came a point and a friend of mine, his life where he grew up homeschooled and there came a point where his, he wanted to go to public school and, and that was fine. And, and his dad had one of the most loving conversations that I think you could. His dad said, son, you can go to public school, but I want you to know something. The second that I see your spiritual life lacking, I'm pulling you out. The second that I see that you're not praying as much, the second that I see your devotional life slipping, the second that you stop being a leader and you become a follower... I'm pulling you out. And they held true to that. And thank God that this individual had a strong enough faith in Jesus that he never slipped. But the fact of the matter is the parents cared enough to pull their kid out of school if necessary, but gave him the freedom of choice to say, you know what, you have a strong relationship with Jesus. And, And parents, if you're seeing tendencies in your children that they're followers and not leaders, we've got to be, we've got to be concerned about that. It's awfully quiet. If you do not have methods of teaching your kids about growing spiritually, the time is now. It's part of the monument was a reminder that the primary educational need of your kids' lives will always be Jesus. 
The pilgrims also knew that their idea of Christian life deeply opposed the government's idea of life. I'm trying to restrain myself. Therefore, they were not in support of government schools because they understood that the king's education would have taught their children that they are nothing more than slaves and nobodies. Whereas this monument represents the biblical teaching that our children are not slaves to the government, they are God's kids. And their calling in life is to be obedient to God before anything else. And what's so beautiful is on the sign of this monument of education, you have on this corner of it the offspring of biblical education, which is wisdom. And wisdom, there's a picture under this title. There he is. An older gentleman who's holding the Word of God and pointing to the world. And he's teaching a younger generation about biblical principles in the real world. And the point is this, grandparents, you have some skin in the game. You have influence. I know this because every time my kids hear that one of their grandparents is coming over, the house goes nuts. You have influence. And I happen to know from personal experience that grandparents like to spoil their grandkids. Yeah, I'll talk about it. There, there was a Christmas. We call it the Christmas of Armageddon. Where when our first was born, she was the first grandchild on both families. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Parents know. <laughs> Parents right now know where this is going. Grandparents, you're pulling the like, I don't know card. Oh, what are you talking about? <sighs> my wife and I, have, our family lives in Pittsburgh. Some of my family lives in Harrisburg. We have to travel around the holidays. And I'll never forget, like for Christmas specifically, after the first stop, I had to run to Walmart and buy a car top carrier for our SUV. I'm not even making this up. That true story. True story. There was so much garbage, uh, gifts. And we started coming up with a motto in our house. More experiences, less gifts, meaning buy them a zoo pass, buy them something that they can experience. We have plenty of garbage, uh, toys. <laughs> but back to the picture, this individual is bestowing biblical knowledge upon the next generation. Parents, I know that you love spoiling your grandkids. Don't forget about your role also to pour into their lives. And pouring into their lives can be just as fun as getting them gifts. Honestly, it is a gift unto itself. You can have fun with this. Take them to Kentucky to see Noah's Ark. No, that's not a joke. The Noah's Ark is in Kentucky. 
For those of you who don't understand, Google it. It'll all make sense. Pour into their lives. Parents, grandparents, we often make jokes about our older age. You've got wisdom through experience. You've lived it. You have so much to offer. Pour into your grandkids. If you don't have grandkids, I'm not even kidding you. This isn't a joke. We have a kids ministry. And they're dying for wisdom to be poured into their lives. Not just any wisdom, biblical wisdom. You have a role. Amen? You have influence. Worship team, would you make your way here? Otherwise, we're going to be here till the actual 4th of July. And so what is the fruit of this? Let's recap. What is the fruit of faith in Jesus Christ, which leads to biblical morality, whose offspring is evangelism, us taking this biblical morality, not keeping it to ourselves, but evangelizing, teaching others, implementing it into our government. The offspring of, of uh, biblical morality becomes our law, because how many of you know that when you start living the right way, all you want to do is see others live in the right way? The offspring of biblical law, we see mercy, meaning that it's a law system that is built on God's principles. It's fair, it's just, it's perfect, amen? The offspring of this is that we've got to educate our kids about biblical morality, law, faith in Jesus. The offspring of education is we have kids who are walking in wisdom. And this leads us to the final pillar, the monument to our forefathers. The fruit of these biblical principles leads us to the last one, his name, Liberty. The result of teaching all these things leads us to this part of the monument. His name is Liberty. And friends, I, this has got to be my favorite part of the monument. Because in his one hand, he's holding a sword. And in his right hand, he's holding broken chains. And to make this guy even cooler, if you were there at the monument, you would look and there's a lion's claw hanging over his shoulder. And when you follow the lion's claw, it leads to a dead lion's hide sitting behind his back. You can actually see the line poking out underneath his arm to make this guy even cooler. He's using the lion's head as an armrest. He's wielding broken chains and a sword which represents that he's willing to defend the liberty that he has attained. He is liberty, willing to defend biblical laws, biblical value, and again, his faith. And the dead lion represents the lion of England and the tyrant being defeated. And what's so cool about this monument and our pilgrims is they didn't even have to attain liberty through violence. Willing to be if necessary. But they attain liberty just by following God's ways. Again, willing to fight if necessary, but that wasn't their first reaction. I think we get the formula messed up a couple times. You know, we hear about a disagreement or something sinful in legislation. We're like, fight, it's time to fight. Calm down. Yeah. 
not there yet. Preach Jesus. There's still time. Don't give up on our nation. If revival is going to start, let it start in each and every one of us. In the history of the world, the number one strategy that has brought blessing, freedom, and liberty is the one represented right here, and it always begins with faith in Jesus. This is the recipe for liberty and freedom. Pastor, how do we get back? Start with Jesus. Pastor, what happened in our nation? Very simple. We walked away from Jesus. Heard a pastor say one time, he was pouring into my life. It was my, my youth pastor. He's pouring into my life and he says, you know what, Donnie, I want you to understand something. If you ever feel like Jesus, you're not close to him anymore, I want you to remember, he never went anywhere. You did. And there's a responsibility that comes with that understanding that Jesus is right where he always has been. He never walks away from us. Thank God mercy. What happened in our nation? We walked away from Jesus, which led to a skewed vision, version of morality, which led to our education system being skewed and teaching a skewed version of morality, which then led to laws being unjust. And now we're in the place where our liberties being called into question. So how do we get back? Just reverse this. Start with Jesus and the other things will follow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Faith in Jesus builds character and morality which leads to a civil society and these principles are lived out one generation of parents and grandparents teaching the next generation through biblical principles which leads to liberty internally that can now be lived out externally and what we're doing here today we're trying to make in our nation as I've said before already this morning we're simply trying to make bad people good by changing their behavior rather than letting Jesus change their hearts true revival is when people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and live for Him. Amen, church? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And He wasn't just speaking about eternity. Jesus was communicating to us. And here, I want to close today's service out with how we began it. Jesus said, I'm the only way, meaning He's the only way for you to go to work every day. He's the only way for laws to be effective and just. He's the only way for messed up people to get fixed. And how many of you know we are those messed up people? Oh, now you're going to get quiet. The only way to have hope, hope has a name. His name is Jesus. The only way for morality to make sense is for the perfect one to reside in our hearts. The only way for a nation to be successful is if Jesus Christ resides in people's hearts who are in that nation. How do we maintain our independence as a nation? How do we ensure liberty for future generations? We fulfill the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives, church. A responsibility to lead others back to the one and only formula that always has worked, always will work, and that is faith in Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed. 
And I just want to throw out there just for a moment, if you're here today, I want to ask you, do you have that first pillar? Everything else follows. Faith in Jesus. Is that a part of your story? Do you have hope? Do you know that he's the way? Have you experienced a real relationship with him? If not, then I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of things in our nation. Let me me rephrase that. I think that there's going to be a lot of things in our nation that confuse you. Because I'm telling you, once you know the one who sets the captive free, there's a whole understanding of liberty that comes with that experience. And without anybody looking around here today, I want to offer to individuals here today who maybe never put their faith in Jesus this opportunity to not only secure your eternity, yes, but also to live in a whole new, better way. And if that's you here today and you're like, Pastor, I, I want to test this out. I want to I put this to action. I want to live this out. If that's you here today, I'm going to ask you, would you just slip a hand up and put it right back down? Is there anyone here today? See that hand. Is there anybody else here today? You can put your hand down. Who says, I want faith in Jesus. I want to understand this whole liberty thing internally because there's things in my life that are holding me down. I'm going to ask church, would you join in for the, with the one who's, who's raised their hand here today and we're believing maybe even more online. But church, I'm going to ask, would you just repeat this prayer after me? And as we make it a common practice here of explaining that salvation, man, it, as we go through these words, these words aren't what saves you. It, it's your heart meaning repentance. It's your heart turning from Jesus and recognizing that he's the only one. So if you mess up these words, it's all good. But likewise, you can say these words a thousand times, but if your heart's not attached to them, it doesn't matter. Repentance means to turn away, to live for Jesus. That's what matters. To recognize him as your savior, invite him into your heart and live for him. Church, would you repeat after me just so we make sure that nobody's singled out and say, dear Jesus, would you come into my life? Set me free of sin. Forgive me of my sins. I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you from this day forward. I give you my heart. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for those who have given their hearts to Christ the first time? Amen, amen, amen. And I'm going to ask, church, as we close out today, can we go back to that bridge? I just want you. And church, would you do this with me? Would you just, I assume if you're a regular attender, you know we lift our hands as just a sign of surrender. And as we sing this, I just want you, can I just challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us here today that is as important as, as voting is, not demeaning that, It's important. Just because people vote in a certain way doesn't mean that their eternity is set steadfast. And you and I have a primary objective, and that's to reach people for Jesus. And as we sing this song, I just want you, can I challenge you to just allow the Holy Spirit to to reiterate and remind us here today, He's the only way. He's the only way. In this Independence Day, may we surrender and recognize that He's the only way and become so dependent upon Him on Independence Day.
recognizing this, that when we're dependent upon Jesus, we are led into freedom. Amen, church? Would you sing this with me? Would you just lift your hands? And again, I'm just going to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. And would you just begin to say, Lord, I, I, would you help me to bring Jesus into my workplace? Would you just begin to pray over your children and your grandchildren? We've got a lot here today. You've got a responsibility. Grandparents and parents, education is placed on your shoulders. You're the one who's got to teach them about Jesus daily. And not just about him, but the depths of his love. Right here in this moment, would you just begin to allow the Holy Spirit to reiterate to you that the only hope for our nation was, is, and will always be Jesus. And may that reality be so set steadfast in our heart that it would compel us to live out just like this monument taught us the biblical principle, reminded us the biblical principle of evangelism. We, church, body of Christ, Christians, we are his sons and daughters. We are called to be the evangelists. Would you sing this with me? I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. Just keep that going. I just may that be the heartbeat of our nation, Jesus. Nothing else. Lord, may that be the heartbeat of every Christian. May this become the heartbeat of every community, every county, every state, our nation, and ultimately the world. May this become the heartbeat of our education system, Lord. May this become the heartbeat of our laws. church. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray again that this would become the heartbeat of our nation. Nothing else but King Jesus. No other king but King Jesus. Lord, we've got a responsibility to take this message and to bring it to those who are in chains in 2023. They're in chains of addiction. They're in chains of brokenness. They're in chains of, uh, of a corrupt perspective of what morality is. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would set captives free. But as your word says, how will anyone hear unless someone goes and preaches and speaks and brings the gospel? May we be those people. 
Lord Jesus, I pray again that as a result of today, that a boldness would arise in the body of Christ. That a responsibility would be put on us and that not only would it be put on us, but Lord, help us to be in tune with that responsibility. I pray that it would become a burden to us. Not a heavy burden, but a burden that says, I've got to give this away. I've got to give this gospel message away. I've got to go wash feet. I've got to go, I've got to go minister to the broken. Lord, would you just begin to place that on our hearts? A sense of, I've got to do this. This is my duty. This is my calling. And I believe that we will be forever changed by this. So Holy Spirit, place that conviction in our hearts that now is the time for the body of Christ to rise up. Awake, O sleeper. May you fill us up and send us out, God. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. We need Him to give us the right words, to give us discernment and wisdom and so on and so forth. Would you just begin to pour your spirit out? Now, Lord, as we leave this place, go before us and begin to prepare hearts. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and if you're believing that God's going to do something in our nation in the near future, would you just give him one victory shout of praise? He's already doing it. He's already preparing a way. He's already working in hearts. I'm telling you, you can't see it, but right now he's doing it. Amen? Amen. Hey, God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. I look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at our, uh, at our picnic. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.